We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Guess who's back? Back again. It's dwarf casts. Dwarf casts are back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Welcome to the Ganymede and Titan Dwarfcast commentary for Series 12, Episode 1, Cured! It's a new year and a new series on our Odyssey through the Dave era, and it's all brilliant. So, I'm Ian Symes, and joining me are Jonathan Capps. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. If you would like to listen to our words and watch the thing at the same time, (laughs) then you should queue up your uh, Blu-ray or DVD or whatever and press play at the end of these pips. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv New titles for New Britain. (laughs) (laughs) There is actually quite... I remember in this title sequence, there's quite a high proportion that are from this episode. Uh, Because I always do the title sequence analysis at the start of every new series and see what clues we can glean i remember being slightly disappointed that almost all of it was in this particular (laughs) episode uh but yes cured uh number 49 in the pearl pole out of uh what was it at the time 73 um so did quite well um it was just one place below uh waiting for god which was the lowest place series one to six episode uh, and it was the fourth of six in series twelve, which is kind this of fair enough. Sounds about right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I watched this uh, last night in preparation, and I'd completely forgotten uh, about the poker scenes. It was just a, a kind which, of like which a, is I amazing since it takes up about half of the fucking episode. Or at least it feels <laughs> like it does. <laughs> it feels like it for sure. <laughs> It's one of those things, it's a funny one, because it's a common criticism uh, in the Dave era that there's scenes that are tacked on to the beginning that are just st- standalone sketches mm. that don't really have any bearing, but this one does kind of pay off later. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's more, uh, on a second viewing, it feels more relevant mm. than it did on first view. It's kind of in the same vein as the Samsara opening, yeah. I guess. Very similar to the Samsara opening. Although the Samsara opening is definitely funnier than this, I think. I mean, what was what's interesting about this episode in particular is that when we were told that this episode was going to have a cured Hitler in it, like, I can't deny that I wasn't worried <laughs> about the idea <laughs> of what that might mean. <laughs> but as it turns out, actually, it's fine. It's, it's it's a weird concept for it's like very off, odd and concept. this is something we're going to say more than once this series but yeah. like this is this is this does feel like we've got a traditional series or like you know at the writing stage just like I've got you know series 11 is a red dwarf series in the vein of 10 let's see where else I can go now <laughs> yeah um it, and it's a, it's mainly to the good I would say <laughs> although this episode is a, <laughs> I don't, I'm not entirely sure if this episode's good or not. Like I watched it, I did watch it earlier, and I I enjoy it, but I really don't know whether it's a good episode or not. I can't figure <laughs> it out. The, okay, you're picking up an SSL, are you? Yeah, that is an SSL exactly. Um, <laughs> an SSL in web technology is a secure socket layer um it's what powers uh https basically encrypted is that what they've detected <laughs> in- encrypted traffic between um your web browser and the web server basically that is well, not the first weird they st- tech they still term. have those in deep space <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of this in in sort of Doug era dwarf where there's a lot of um acronyms and sort of like parlance used that that is assumed knowledge, but yeah. actually, mm. people don't actually know what you mean. It's it's a bit like when um, when when you're reading a newspaper, or like maybe are you listening to someone 
talk about something that you know something about and you suddenly realize that they may have been talking shit about everything else all this time because <laughs> yeah. um, you're spotting all these problems <laughs> like watching hackers <laughs> yeah. I like you know I don't know like if you say you read the independent every day and then one day they've got a new story about red dwarf being on coronation street or something and like the article is just basically 80 percent um misunderstandings and half truths and just sloppily done something you just think ah, if they're they're doing that for this then what's the level of quality and everything else that i don't have the context for i had a similar experience with what culture when i read absolutely anything that they've ever posted ever (laughs) don't even need to know anything about the source subject (laughs) to know that they're talking just know that they're wrong there was one the other day about uh, Arnold Rimmer playing the character Barry, which I thought yeah. was <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. Um, so we're after, like the, the, there was quite a few really <laughs> nice model shots going on before this, which is good but not brilliant. Um, the um, landing bay shot earlier on mm. with the, the turn is. is like the, I mean, that's yeah. original series quality, at least approaching original series quality. It was really I nice. Think so. I think they've used that a few times, mm. dotted about. It's one of those like again with the original series. If uh, if a model shot works once, just keep using it. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, like, <laughs> great joke about the uh, like the right thrusters not working, so you have to constantly turn left to make a right turn. Oh, that was yeah. Quite... Yeah. It is yeah, a great. That is a great joke as a punchline. It's less of a great joke when there's then a minute of <laughs> of physical representation of the exact same joke. But that's being picky, I think. It's weird. It's almost like like psychopaths were in vogue around this time because it was like John Ronson had done yeah the psychopath uh, a test. whole yeah psychopath yeah, test. There was a lot say. of conversation about psychopathy and and, and sort of you know. The nature of a psychopath and that kind of thing. So, obviously, Psychopath- it was in the psychopathy. <laughs> when was this? So it, Written this into 2015, right? Ish. Yeah, ish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it would have been because it was shot early 2016. <laughs> There's some. On these. Um, Cryo booths. Uh, there's jokes uh, written on the. The Vlad the Impaler one here did not leave unattended sharps near patient. <laughs> yeah. There's something. There's something written really subtly on all of them, but I think uh, the Vlad the Impaler one's the only one you can really make out properly. Oh, I'm going to uh, through that in a bit. But there's going to be some um, freeze frame fun to be had. I'll tell you what. We'll go. <laughs> we'll back do it afterwards. End. Yeah, we'll go around the end. We'll go. We'll go find them at the end. <laughs> I've never is that, is, that Mark, is that Mark Clark doing his thing again so they go Ian Rupert Murdoch was in the chair at this point <laughs> yeah, he in was the, in the evil uh, chair, yeah. chair. Um, so if Rupert Murdoch was in the chair then obviously the really bad shit hadn't started yet <laughs> <laughs> not that Rupert Murdoch's not still evil no no he's, he's just, just... <laughs> other, other evils the evils that he has helped um, ferment yeah that would 100% be Donald Trump um, if it was written any time after. Yeah, six, if it was written a year later, yeah, basically. it would have been Donald Trump. How fucking thankful am I that Donald Trump seems to have come and gone before any new Red Dwarf will ever appear? <laughs> <laughs> Thank fuck. You've got, you got uh, to hope that current events don't go in a way that, that Doug will feel compelled to reference them in Red Dwarf because it tends to be the weaker joke. So let's, let's hope things are boring and then Doug has to think of other things. I really like the line, but the more you hear about that guy. <laughs> Quite a partridge line, that. <laughs> Is this... Um... Bollocks! All this, I assume, uh, the the concepts that you could bring back people's ancestors from traces found in their descendants' DNA. There will be traces of DNA, like of obviously you can trace your ancestry back through your DNA. That's mm. that's true, but you can't take an get an entire person from a partial bit of DNA. 
No, no that's, I thought not. That's bollocks. No, because otherwise, what to, that would mean is that every single person DNA would have the DNA start. of every other person ever to have ever birthed them <laughs> up to that point. Do you know what I mean? So you know, yeah. you would have the DNA of everyone up until Charlemagne. <laughs> Adam and Eve, depending on your uh, beliefs. It's, I mean, yeah, like the, the, there's the, the this whole kind of concept of curing evil, <clears throat> or the evil being a gene, or evil even really being a thing, is is kind of off because hmm. the thing that everyone has to remember, and especially in recent events, is that that there isn't just evil and good. Everyone is capable, um, and that's what you've got to be aware of, not the cartoon villains. Speaking of cartoon villains. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, he's got the appearance, maybe, but like literally nothing else about him is any good as a villain. Well, it's interesting that they find another booth, and because it says Professor Telford on it, they assume that he's not one of the evil ones. Yeah. Uh just because they put his got uh, a nice title job. on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's a professor. <laughs> no no one who's a professor can be an evil man. <laughs> and also his name is Shawl Telford. S H A W L. Like a I always thought that his a, name would be an anagram of something later on, like we'd find out, you know, the kind of Iron Lord Voldemort. Oh, I'm secretly <laughs> evil. <laughs> Very much and... enjoy <laughs> Hitler throwing the dragon fruit like a grenade. <laughs> but also in the uh, documentary, the 20-something year itch, I can't remember the name of the documentary, the Series 12 documentary, you can see them improvising that between scenes. <laughs> and it's, re- it's just a really lovely bit of uh, business, that you, you know, being able to see that joke being being created and improvised workshops and in front of you thing. it's always nice yeah. and, and obviously Ryan Gage you have to get he steals this episode yes yeah, he's way up there yeah. in terms of guest stars god um, he he owes I hope I hope he at least kind of rung up Steve Pemberton and gave him a little bit of verbal credit for his performance because <laughs> there's <laughs> more than a little bit of hair lip in there <laughs> well but, this characterization of Hitler is not an uncommon one no that's true it's a bit of standard I mean, camp German comedy character, yeah. basically. But he does he does play it straight some of the time, and it's really when mm. he plays it down the line, and he doesn't play it for laughs or anything like that. And he plays it normally. It's really weird to see someone who can do that, where he's not constantly trying to like mug it up for the camera. He genuinely is doing. But it's <laughs> it's because I'm Hitler, isn't it? <laughs> and he actually plays that straight, and you feel sorry for him. He still has to wear the red armband, but it has to have something not as not. <laughs> yeah, yeah they've all think... got they've all got their clothes on from their most famous like paintings, basically. Yeah, <laughs> that must have been in the DNA as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <They> must have <laughs> had to recreate those clothes. I always felt Messalina was a bit of an odd one out in terms of. You know, if you were going to cast the four most notoriously evil people, then Hitler would definitely be there, for sure. Stalin probably. Vlad the Impaler, fair enough. Everyone's heard of him. Yeah. I didn't really, I didn't really know who Messalina was prior to this. Messalina, uh, I have Genghis only ever heard of from um, Meltdown. Yeah, that's the only time I've <laughs> yeah. ever heard the name before, and it's it's synonymously linked to Red Dwarf in my head anyway. So, yeah, and, and obviously it must be is someone from history that Doug's obviously. Like latched onto a long time ago, and so she's mm. ca- carried over. But I guess Did Caligula's wife. So I don't know that. Show sure, it's Caligula's wife. Noah's wife. Some more <laughs> uh, subtle performance from her. <laughs> there. I do. I, I think Craig's really good in this scene. Where he's uncomfortable, isn't he? yeah, he's yeah. uncomfortable, but then slowly realizes that he's he's getting on with this guy, despite not wanting to get on with him. And it, yeah, the way he plays <laughs> it, it's really it's just really nice. Yeah, I think we've talked before about Craig's ever improving acting skills as the years have gone on. Mm. I think he can do, he can do that kind of subtle acting a lot better in the these days than he used to. Yeah. 
just hands down is... one of the best lines of the series. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about it, just like it, like every every question can be. It's because of Hitler, isn't it? It's like yeah, he's really playing. He does really play Hitler. Like the the choice here is like this is an awkward conversation where Hitler is flirting with him, really. <laughs> Which which is a choice. It's definitely a choice. Um, like, and that's where a lot of the awkwardness is almost coming from. Is that like, Hitler's really coming on strong to Lister? But I that's can sympathise with Hitler <laughs> in this specific. I mean, context. you know, at least he had style. <laughs> I'm using that soundbite for the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what I mean to say is that Ryan Gage plays him in a sympathetic way. Yeah. And that and you you kind of go through the same thing as Lister if you kind of like obviously it's hard to ignore the iconography of Hitler, but in that moment he's just a, a guy who's trying to make a friend yeah. and he's getting blown off and you're like, Oh, yeah. it's a shame. Well, I'd like to get blown off. <laughs> and and then you realise really that he's all like <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah. <clears throat> it's easy to cut out that at least. <laughs> so Messalina is here for the cat then, really, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's odd because yeah, it's like at this stage you think they're being paired off in some way. Like you've got Lister and Hitler are being matey and these two are having a conversation. It feels like it should then cut to Rimmer and Stalin and Yeah. You know, or Crichton and Vlad. Well Rimmer should be having the time of his life. If we're going by previous characterization, mm. like he, yeah. fascist dictator monthly, yeah, he should be delighted to talk to Hitler, meet all these historical figures. Yeah, now this, <laughs> this thing, <laughs> this thing, I can't help but like it, but I don't know why. I'm kind of like Lister. I don't want to like it, but I do. <laughs> it's um. So would this have been better as um, Africa by Toto? I think. I think it would have been as good. I think the fact that the, they've really have really pissed about with the, the idea of having Hitler jamming with Lister. <laughs> but I think because they both play it so well, it completely seems... it seems Because it's so odd and so mm. out there. Well, that's my main issue with it, is the fact that Lister shouldn't be playing this well. Oh, OK. Right, Lister, so it's, all right, okay. Lister should be crap and Hitler should be good. I must be missing no, something. I, think I don't hear adds... anyone playing well. <laughs> It adds extra surrealism. I think the fact that it's such a weird song is like it's obviously it's a copyright free song. Yeah, uh, is like why why would anyone <laughs> jam to that? Why would anyone <laughs> want to do a rock version of that? I think if it was uh, Toto, uh, Africa by Toto was originally planned, but they couldn't get the rights to. Uh, it would it would have made it a more convincing scenario and I think that would have made it a little bit funnier. Yeah, maybe. Um, but it would have felt even more like a separate set piece yeah. that wasn't really... Also, I think Africa was going through like maybe its third or fourth meme wave at that point. It, it, yeah. it comes and goes. Um, and so maybe it would have yeah. felt a bit on the nose at the time. But I don't well, At least know. it would have been fucking journey. Yeah. Well, it will rise again, sure, as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti. Yeah, fair enough. And it, is, it is genuinely a fantastic song. I'll, yeah, I'll say yeah. that. Yeah, and like uh, Journey, I don't like it when people like it ironically. Yeah. You either like it or fuck off. <laughs> yeah, Rimmer should not be again, like, based on his... Unless he's changed... Dramatically in thirty years, which I guess he has. Maybe he's um, he's learnt the the folly of um, venerating historical despots rather than. That's true. Um, I mean, he a... became a historical despot for one episode. That's true. Maybe that <laughs> that experience changed him. It does make sense that Lister's the one that gives them the benefit of the doubt, though, and says, yeah, yeah. let's do it. That's the, yeah, that that's consistent. Oh, Also, we spoke over it, but I like Rimmer's line about complaining about having to get ramps on Red Dwarf. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> he would. It's the kind of joke that, yeah, it, it's, you can get away with that 
kind of joke if it's a character that's doing it yeah. and you're not supposed to agree with the character. It's the same joke as uh, Benice in um, League of Gentlemen. Mm, ramps outside yeah. libraries and the toilets are massive. Um, <laughs> quite in there, um, having his hard drive hacked, everyone. <laughs> not his operating system. No. Just his hard drive this hard is such drive a hacked. strange sequence, this. Also, he'd, he'd have SSDs at least. Well, they had an SSL earlier. <laughs> so yeah, this is this is the definition of tossed together. <laughs> like, it's uh, Lister's worst fear should be being buried alive, surely. Exactly. And but Lister is like, no, actually, his worst fear is um, to be in some sort of cartoon characters trap. <laughs> or like, well, it's a James Bond thing as well, isn't it? Yeah. Well, um, it it makes me think of the. Um, Itchy and scratchy cartoon where this is this is parodied. Meanwhile, Cat is in a Radiohead video. Yeah. <laughs> His worst fear is being Tom York. He was very surprised, <laughs> alarmed, I'd say. <laughs> but I like the Crichton one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. It's a nice, simple effect that just is very effective. <clears throat> but it's just it just feels like oh we need to have them in peril somehow and it just it just feels like it's been thrown together you know literally happens within about i think it's literally dealt with in a within a minute a minute or two yeah and it's just so mm. like, lister is just you know i mean this effect's pretty good the, 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 the... <laughs> <laughs> that's presumably like a green cloth wrapped around robert's head <laughs> Yeah, but what's interesting is they've actually still uh, comped in the back of his neck. Yeah. Which is quite a difficult thing to do. Like there. They've actually comped. Yeah, it's not missing. It would be missing completely, but they've actually comped in the back of his neck as well, which is kind of. Because it's pretty flawless as well. Yeah, it's good. You can't see like a moving mask that someone's done like every frame or anything. (laughs) But then, yeah, as you say, the peril bit is just a. It's a kind of a uh, segue from. Everything's fine to denouement. Yeah, it lasts. <laughs> this whole sequence is just a couple of minutes. It doesn't really feel dramatic. <laughs> Cat hates Rimmer, everyone. <laughs> Until the Promised Land, <laughs> they have some character development there. <laughs> I mean, obviously, this is all tending towards the cat's um, diagnosis later on, isn't it? That's very true, yeah. Yes, that's a good point. It's deliberately amped up Mm. his uh, lack of caring, his lack of empathy is uh, exaggerated in this episode. I think so. Why is he? He's just having a little sleep. Do we establish why he's pretending to have been attacked? I can't remember. I watched this last night and <laughs> I still can't quite remember the ending. <laughs> it's very uh, complicated unnecessarily, I think. Yeah. Blood the Impaler is good in this <laughs> But yeah, it's so they're not really. So I guess all this stuff about um, the DNA not making any sense is kind of okay because it doesn't have to make sense because it was a lie yeah. in the first place. Yes. Uh, Oh no! Meanwhile, this is Ainsley <laughs> Hitler. Moment, That's a bit on the fucking nerves, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's an odd combination of words. Oh no, that it is mine, <laughs> but it works. He stole my zipper. I mean, if he doesn't owe it to Steve Pemberton, he owes it to a lower low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Ah, the psychopath beast is gonna. Ah, one of them. <clears throat> Has anyone seen um, Death of Stalin? Not yet. No. You should. It's really fucking good. <laughs> just, just as an aside, I do. I'm just thinking of that because actually, that Stalin is like almost picture perfect. Um, well, this Stalin looks like Alex Newsom of Gaspacho Suit. <laughs> The Red Dwarf Fan Club, <laughs> which <laughs> I remember um, we were both at the recording of this one, and uh, before it started, Nathan Cubitt, the documentary maker, came up and said, there's someone in this episode that looks like Alex Newsom. <laughs> <laughs> He'd obviously been thinking it all week. <laughs> I hadn't ever clocked that. <laughs> It's an interesting um, the character the trait giving giving the cat technically speaking as it giving them human. Uh, yeah, I was going to say judging him on human on hu- uh, human um, grounds, I guess is is yeah. unfair because mm. he's still a cat. He's not the type that kills though. So. Oh, okay. oh, Apart from in um, Demons and Angels when he shot someone through a door, but yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's Professor Telford. Oh my God! And I'd have gone the way really with you too if it went for you, pesky kids. <laughs> and yeah, this is the this is just the confusing when thing. when robots are then <laughs> remote controlled, they all have to walk like stereotypical comedy yeah. robots. <laughs> How come they weren't making whirring noises prior to that? <laughs> <laughs> they should have been doing that all episode long. <laughs> or not at all. This guy brain-hacked entire populations, guys. Yeah. I mean, you could... You you have to either give them the benefit of the doubt or not. It's like, in the future, they've developed all this stuff that may sound like complete bollocks, but is fine in the future. Uh, but this whole thing is like he explains a very complicated scenario in the space of 30 seconds and it's it's so unmemorable I guess is the thing yes. I've seen this episode many times mm-hmm. and I still have to check hang on so who he, he was the baddie he was the patient but he invented those robots no he reprogrammed previous robots that were there for other purposes and turned them into uh, caricatures of famous historical figures but why <laughs> yeah. that's the, that's the main thing i'm missing and 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 faked up the cryogenic pods and wrote jokes on them and wrote jokes on them yeah <laughs> i mean god who, who can understand the mind of a psychopath you know well yeah And he also uh, slightly breaks the fourth wall and says, did you not think it was funny that Hitler looked nothing like Hitler? <laughs> <laughs> that is true, actually. The, the others, I mean, the others all were made to look very close. Although I'm not entirely sure about Vlad or Messalino, actually, now that I think about it. But, um, yeah, Hitler oh, yeah. really was no effort. Well, you get you cast the actor, yeah, yeah, for the yeah. The others you could get away with casting yeah. more on looks, yeah, because they've got less to do. But actually, in this bit, the cat is doing a clever thing, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like um, you know the episode of Peep Show where everyone's just constantly saying sectioned. Over and over again, and it just gets to a ridiculous point. You just say, "Can everyone stop? Like, stop threatening to section me, or so help me God, I will section you." And I feel that way about psycho- the word psychopath in this episode. It's it's lost all meaning. It doesn't mean it's. I just think, the, I just think it should have, it should have ended literally when he said, "Like, oh, how's that for a perky face?" And then that that would have. Like that would have been fine as a, a final line. It's 
It's weird. It just goes. I'm annoyed about. Like series eleven sometimes ended a little bit too quickly, and then like in season twelve has a few yeah. episodes where it's like little like gets flabby. Yeah. I mean. yeah, what a weird episode. It is. I remember, uh, like I say, I went to see it filmed, and I couldn't decide then on the night what I made of it. And I still can't really. I think there's some really good bits in it, some mm. moments that are really good, but it doesn't hang together as a whole, really. No. Yeah, I think it does not justify <clears throat> look, Looking back on it now, with a few years' grace, when it's not brand new anymore, um, there are just a few set pieces involving Hitler that are good, and the rest of it is messy. Mm. Um, messy Lena. And as a story, it's patchy. Like there's a there's a dense plot there, a, a complicated plot, but it's just given over in dialogue in the space of a few minutes towards the end. Mm-hmm. It's not played out; it's told to us. There's, the, uh, there's no jeopardy. There's no stakes. Yeah, no, that's no, it. Yeah, that's it. There's there's no there's no again. You, well, there is a stake. There's a crown's got to turn on. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Put it this way: if there is jeopardy, it is dealt with incredibly quickly, like way too mm-hmm. fast for it to be to to seem like it's potentially problematic you can see the story cogs whirring around like you can see everything kind of like the the, the jeopardy part <clears throat> you can just see exactly why that's there and what it's doing to serve the story rather than you've been invested in it as part of the story mm. if that would have been where an ad break was that would kind of make sense it probably was Oh no, the ad breaks after the selfie I think my, my opinion has lowered of this episode since I last saw it I think yeah, yeah Right, hold on. I'm going through and seeing if I can read. Okay, so these are the gags that are written on the side of the uh, stasis booths. Uh, We've already had Vlad the Impaler, no unattended sharps. Joseph Stalin, unattended belongings will be forcibly redistributed by Ah, patient. uh That's a joke about communism. (laughs) Messalina, oh, that was very quick. Unflattering Uh, clothing to be worn at all times. Ah. And Hitler, uh... something therapy treatment prescribed. Do not provide criticism of work. I assume art therapy. Oh, okay, right, yeah. Ah, oh, oh, yeah, perfect. <laughs> so yeah, it's about, it's about the only joke you can make about Hitler that isn't uh, deeply problematic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like just ragging him for his art art uh, skills. Yeah, well, this is bollock as well. Oh, there is also his bot. Which which reminds me, there's a line where where when Lister's talking about being in the chair with the, the the laser, he's completely obsessed with his balls being cut off, but completely forgets the third lad that's uh, part of that equation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my like, two best on, friends. Yeah, my two best friends, which suggests that maybe there's like you know m- m- maybe um... there's some antipathy between him and his penis. <laughs> yeah, or like you know, um, it's. Uh... Oh, what one of his balls has has um, has disappeared and has, has been lost in an accident, and so uh. <laughs> apparently, if it might be in the Albert Hall, <laughs> or on a garden wall, or in the Leeds Town Hall, <laughs> depending on where you grew up, where you Leeds Town Hall, the local variant. That's that's good. <laughs> Speaking of Leeds, there was a there was a Leeds jab in this episode as well. Oh yeah, um, following in the fine tradition of um, Stoke near Clipper. It's about Leeds United. Leeds United. Than, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The most depraved bunch of people since the nineteen seventies Leeds team or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Leeds. Don't, yeah. You don't even have to direct it at nineteen seventies Leeds. Direct it at any Leeds. <clears throat> Current Leeds. Work. Current Leeds. <laughs> so that was cured. <laughs> yeah. Happy twenty twenty one, everyone. I feel a bit deflated. <laughs> Because I, I expected that to be uh, a better episode than it was. I think the memories cheated me. Mm. As a series opener, it's a weird one. But it's not the worst of the lot. Let's just say that. Well, no. <laughs> I think any, almost any episode could be in series 12 and not be the worst of series 12. No. But uh, we'll come to that in two commentaries time. In the meantime... It's the new year, and we have a brand new feast for you now. We have a whole new pile of waffles that have been delivered to our quarters, covered in maple syrup. Freshly fried. Freshly waffled. 
By which we mean uh, this is the section where we answer any Red Dwarf-related topics and questions that have been set by you, our loyal listeners slash readers, in the section that we like to call... Ah, so you're a waffle, waffle man. man. Or maybe this is a time for Luftwaffle Men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luftwaffle Men. Before we go on to the Waffle Men, I need to make an addendum. Messalina was actually the paternal cousin of Emperor Nero and the second cousin of Emperor Caligula, not his wife. Yeah, but in them days, that could be one and the same. Well, yeah, but he was never, he was never married to Caligula. Let's... Just take a selection of waffles. We've got quite a few in the pile now, so apologies if we haven't answered yours yet, but we will. There's some that have come in in the past that we're saving for specific occasions later on because they tie in with uh, future Dwarfcast topics. So don't worry if we haven't answered yours. I'm sure we will eventually, unless it was really shit, in which case you should be ashamed. Uh, Let's start with Dave Q on Twitter, who's also known as Spaceworm Jim on uh, G&T has Red Dwarf ever offended you in an utterly trivial way like say do you love pot noodle or have you really enjoyed being on holiday with a group of Germans that kind of thing (laughs) this is Spaceworm Jim and I've consistently worn corduroy since I was 15 (laughs) the main reason I wanted to read that one out was just for the final line which is superb (laughs) like consistently worn corduroy even when you're in bed. <laughs> Cordroy is known as Manchester in other countries because it was made in Manchester. Yeah. So whenever I tried to fly from Sweden to uh, Manchester, the automatic translator would translate Manchester to Cordroy. <laughs> so I travel from Malmö to Cordroy <laughs> to get home. <laughs> Sounds like somewhere in south of France. Yes. It's not. It's not. Cor- it's not real Cordroy unless it's from the Cordroy region of. <laughs> I get quite annoyed by the constant digs at Pot Noodle, to be fair. I have I honestly don't know where I do like from. Pot Noodle. I yeah. like Pot Noodle. Pot Noodles There's have nothing a place, wrong with right? them. They, they have a place. I kind of had a received opinion about Pot Noodle for a while when I was a kid because of Red Dwarf. Yeah. Like, I would refuse to have a Pot Noodle for a while and go, oh no, Pot Noodle's the shit thing because Red Dwarf said so. And then and then eventually I tried them and thought, oh, these are actually really good. Yeah. Like, obviously they're not haute cuisine. Uh, but I think at the time of late 80s, early 90s, they were probably in the chair for crap convenience <laughs> food. Yeah. Uh, which is why they come up disproportionately in Red Dwarf. Because it's like in the space of a, like around Series 5, there's a few references, 4 and 5. It's sort of the Twinkie equivalent of like, like yeah. just really Mr. sort of like just horrible, fake, artificial food that, that just hits a certain spot though right but yeah. but, but listers like hate for pasta in series seven <laughs> seven yeah. yeah to answer the question like red Wars never offended me like it's it's never taken a, a pot shot at me because i am precisely its audience and so it's never it's never attacked <laughs> yeah. me <clears throat> if i was a swedish weather girl or a belgian <laughs> pinup or a welsh or fish a and chip shop owner then maybe but um yeah <laughs> Has there ever been a joke about someone who would attend a science fiction convention? Yes. Oh, okay, yeah, there we go then, yeah. Dwayne Dib- it's a Dwayne uh, Dibley. He's looking so dorky you couldn't even get into a science fiction convention, which ah. is in Emo Hawk, which we have always kind of assumed is a direct reference to the first Dimension Jump yeah. that Rob and Doug both went to in 92, and then in 93 you've got that joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, um, although that isn't uh, directed so much at me because I didn't go to... Um, conventions in 92 i was too busy being nine years old <laughs> but yeah um, it's mostly about um disagreements about food <laughs> is what yeah. we're saying yeah because then the pasta thing yeah as well and i think that is a middle class that like pasta was seen as a, a poncy middle class thing at one stage yeah i guess i guess whereas the it's, british it's pasta board really did the a good job there, yeah i think it i think it, it boils down to sort of a, a class traitor thing which lister always seems to want to come back to is that yeah. he sees it as being like a he's going against his own by eating something like that yeah, yeah i totally agree with him about wine bars but then it's never beer is it it's always wine like you know sometimes wine is better than beer and depending on the situation like when you really want to get hammered or if you want to make gravy <laughs> 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 well, no, steak and ale pie. <laughs> oh, good point. <laughs> the only time Red Dwarf has ever actually offended me, like, properly, is genuinely with dialogue. And it's only because it was so off colour. It just doesn't fit. And it's in time with. 
and that's literally the only uh, time that anything's ever been said on Red Dwarf that rubs me so far up the wrong way. It's ridiculous. And we'll get to that in the, the, in the We will very much get to that. Yeah. <laughs> There's attitudes in two episodes, <laughs> Crity TV and Time Wave, that I find offensive. Um, but, mm. yeah, I don't think it's in the trivial way that uh, Dave Q slash Space Worm Jim no, was I saying. Get, no, I, don't, I never get offended. I mean, I used to get uh, quite annoyed by... It was not. It wasn't anything in Red Dwarf per se, but it was more to do with the sort of off-air interviews with the cast and crew. And Craig would often mm. slight us as fans, mm. as being you know, and, would, and that would feel a little bit more personal than just being a joke. It was. It didn't feel like it came from a place of. Uh, it, did, it felt a little bit more malicious than just being an offhand comment. It was a phase, wasn't it? That yeah. he went through with, and it was kind of like a being cool and detached and and sort of set, trying to separate himself from it. But then I think that changed with um, Craig's well-publicised problems in the uh, mid-noughties. Um, there was that DJ in Peterborough. In Peterborough, yeah. 2006, was it? I think it was. Six it's or seven. a long time ago now. Yeah, um, where it was you know, Craig's first sort of public appearance since uh, he was publicly outed as uh, using crack. Um, and he came to DJ and was so warmly received by everyone. It was a really lovely atmosphere. And I think mm. his attitude towards Red Dwarf fans changed that day. I think his attitude towards then, other like things in general. I think it really yeah, felt that like that time of his life. Yeah, he clearly came through a difficult time uh, and came out a better person. Yeah. I mean, what, one one more thing is about like the the being on holiday with a group of Germans thing is that I, I have been I have I have been in a group in a group of Germans who are having a holiday in this country because I have a whole side of my family that is. Um, uh, that that's in Germany. My uncle just moved there and m- married into a German family, and so I have like a sizable amount of Germans in the family, and so I never I never found that particularly hilarious because I actually like that that stereotype of Germans. This isn't really, it doesn't really exist. It's just it, it it's just something that was kind of um in the in the psyche at the time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Of like you know been sniffy about germans and that's you know since the 40s or whatever but um they never particularly offended me either yeah it was in the days where each european nation had its handy stereotypes that yeah <laughs> always had to be adhered to yeah it's a sort of you know the sort of laziness in comedy writers that you'd only really expect with the spanish <laughs> <laughs> fuckers let's <let's> get them. <'em. laughs> Yeah, it was interesting though. To, I didn't realise that there were Deutsch caps. <laughs> there is a question here from Daniel Stevenson. Yeah, I don't know why it's here. It says breaking the fourth wall in Red Dwarf. Discuss. Okay, I'm going to break the fourth wall here because I don't remember writing this question. <laughs> <laughs> Caps, we read it out earlier when we were going through what we were going to talk about. And I mean, it's a, cause it's a questionnaire from Dan Stevenson. I was like, what? What? <laughs> Is there? I must have had a point that I wanted to make when I mentioned that. I think the the major sort of breaking the fourth wall is the um, the smeg up, right? That's the biggest. Yeah, it's never really been done in an episode, I don't think. Oh, that's it. Uh, do you know what? I think I remember where I got this from now because I think it was... I was washing up and I was I was thinking about when Crichton was reading out about the ten mistakes in Red Dwarf, mm. and Crichton was reading it in character, like yeah. about you know the the ten most asked questions about Red Dwarf, and it was just that whole thing about being self aware. And obviously, Back to Earth probably the most fourth wall breaking part of Red Dwarf, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, but yeah, Smeg ups, Smeg outs, and the Smeg ups Red Dwarf night episode, Smeg ups. Mm. They all treat Red Dwarf as a TV show, and yet feature the characters from Red Dwarf talking about Red Dwarf the TV show. And it never feels weird though. That's the that's the strange bit about it. It never felt odd. Well I guess there's a there's an expectation with it that you know that this is Robert and Craig and Chris pissing about rather than it you know, it's not presented as an actual episode or anything. Although the one bit that does impinge on that is uh the introduction of Nanaki, which has a recap of the events oh, of Epidemic yeah. that starts with uh Crichton in character saying last week on Red Dwarf uh-huh. something terrible happened to Mr Lister's arm. Uh, but because it's series seven Crichton it's uh, delivered worse than that. <laughs> 
but yeah, so that's that's Crichton, the character, saying last week on Red Dwarf, which is odd. Really strange. Like the only yeah, the only instance of that, I guess. Yeah, and there's there is also, I mean, we're gonna we'll, we'll get to this one in a future commentary as well. But I think Macrocracy as well has a lot of weird fudging of like obviously it's not classed as fourth wall breaking but it's classed as security footage yeah there's like, bits where they they show footage from previous episodes yeah. that realistically they shouldn't be able to have access to yeah. yeah i think there's a difference isn't there and then i i'm aware that i'm channeling kind of half remembered things that seb said <laughs> in the past but there's a difference between metafiction and breaking the fourth wall like, i wouldn't say back to earth broke the fourth wall i would say that that was a work of metafiction whereas breaking the fourth wall to me would be like um the old trope of a villain turning to camera and uh, aside aside oh okay that does happen then uh parallel universe the cat looks right down the barrel oh shit when the dog is uh, i'm i I don't know what that is but i'm sure he wants to eat me he looks right down the barrel of the lens yeah he absolutely breaks the fourth wall that is exactly that then yeah so but i think that that is accidental on inter- like it, it wasn't a decision that Danny would turn to camera and, and deliver that line to the audience I think he just happened to turn around and catch the gaze of the lens rather than it being scripted as such of, of an, an aside to the audience yeah interesting the example of this I always think of is the villain in Castrovalva or it might be Logopolis it's around the Peter Davison regeneration uh, you're thinking of the Caves of Androzani uh, I am thinking of the Caves of Androzani, so the other end of Peter Davison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the, the the villain in that, and um, and the technique is it could be described as an aside, but it's got another name that isn't aside that I can never remember, and all I have in my head is in media res, which is a completely different thing. Uh, soliloquy. But, yeah, it might, it might be. Yeah, but like, yeah, the villain in that, all, the whole, through the whole thing, is turning to the camera and the dread, and I love it. I love that kind of that technique so mm. i really hope that actually the cat doing that in parallel universe was deliberate because it, it, if it is it's a really interesting weird one-off decision that they made <laughs> <laughs> it's got it's very cartoony yeah. <laughs> it's like a roadrunner wily coyote type thing yeah, yeah definitely like <laughs> yeah which which suits like the interactions between the cat and dog you know like why not do something a bit different Classic when you when you can't kind of pairing with it? A weird. It's the first really weird episode of Red Dwarf, anyway, isn't it? Or kind of like a bit of like a ah oh, fuck it sort of an episode where they're they're dealing with slightly more bonkers concepts. And then that through line follows through to uh, Lister jamming with Hitler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some <laughs> butterfly flaps its later. wings in series two, and and Lister jams with Hitler thirty years later. <laughs> we have a topical waffle uh, from Cy Bromley. New Year's resolutions, or is that just asking for trouble? <laughs> My New Year's resolution is to write a review of um, the Promised Land Blu-ray. <laughs> is that your Which... New Year's resolution for 2022, yeah? <laughs> next year is on next year's goal. <laughs> I do have some kind of genuine ones here of, of just you know, basically making sure that I carry on doing things that i like to do in my spare time and not letting work completely consume my life unfortunately for everyone listening that means doing more things with gnt <laughs> more writing across the bear. more messing about with developing silly things maybe do you know do stuff you enjoy this goes for everyone do stuff you enjoy look after your brain complete yeah. things on a serious note i'd say that for with the year that we've just had and the fact that uh there's still more shite to come um mm. I think most people's New Year's resolution should just be to get through the year, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't think uh, you should put any more pressure on yourself than that, yep. uh, to just get through it with your health and happiness intact, or as intact as they can be, is a good way to live your life at the moment. I like the idea of having lots of little things that I can complete, uh, I found that to be useful um, recently of just like I was just saying like I've got this t- tiny little project or this just this tiny little thing that I want to see through from beginning to end and doing that a lot is is a very good way of kind of giving uh, some meaning into a particular day and rather than you just feel like you're um, floating through this massive sea of shit just waiting for someone to stab you with a needle twice and then suddenly you can go out again just complete lots of things do lots of things find meaning in tiny little tasks and that is my New Year's resolution to myself. Also, I need to lose a lot of weight before I get diabetes. 
<laughs> so that's my other New Year's resolution, um, doctor, if you're listening. Are you talking to diabetes there? <laughs> no, <laughs> Dr. Diabetes, yes. I think my resolution is just to finish things I've started. I think that's the, the biggest problem I have with uh, projects is I, I tend to get excited and, and then look at the new new shiny thing and then jump onto the next new shiny thing when it gets in front of me. And I've never seemed to finish the thing I started and I always end up with a lot of unfinished projects. And that yeah. eventually kind of wears you down a little bit because you just then think, well, I haven't really achieved anything because nothing's actually yeah. done. Everything's just kind of there. And so there's all these kind of projects and stuff just kind of sat around you. So you're thinking, you know, I, I, I've always got something to do, but they're not sort of going away they're all they're all still there the next day yeah so i think learn to finish things starting projects is like a really cheap dopamine hit yeah to yeah. your brain it's like fast food and it feels great to start something and have fresh ideas and then like the like not finishing it kind of like then it's almost like you have a come down from that initial hit but that come down yeah. lasts until you've done and that that can sometimes never happen so. but the hit you get from <laughs> finishing something is like almost it's almost like a permanent thing like you know you can't you know there's no come down from that you've finished it and very very very, very much easier said than done mm. okay chris carter asks what is your red dwarf holy grail and we've been having a bit of debate about this about what actually he meant by that we could, we could have him. asked him, <laughs> <laughs> but no. Let's <laughs> let's speculate what Chris Carter means. Uh, does he mean like something, a piece of merchandise or a collectible or something that we personally are striving for to complete our collections, our holy grail? Um, in which case, I think what I just want to get hold of is every single shooting script and running order and piece of production paperwork ever. That's my holy grail. As well. <laughs> That's I've got like for a long time. Um, scenes from the dwarf was my holy grail, and that was it was the only official release that I didn't have, and that was it was really rare for ages. If anyone doesn't know, a tiny book. Um, it was originally sixty p, and it's just a collection of scripts of some scenes from Red Dwarf, hence the name "Scenes from the Dwarf." Oh. Um, cut down son of soup, basically, or cut down very yeah, soup. very limited edition, like flew under the radar type release was incredibly rare for years and then at some point they must have just found thousands of the fuckers because they're now 10p on amazon they were everyone's holy grail really weren't they they were they were like you know i mean you, you were chasing after it and you allowed yourself to get mugged by a scouser for it. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> i paid seb patrick uh was it 40 pounds i paid him for something like copy. that yeah 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 and then can't bloody give away now. <laughs> no, I think um, I don't have a Red Dwarf Holy Grail right now. Um, when it comes to merchandise, other than um, Granella Production making worthwhile merchandise, um, that has been <laughs> my endless Red Dwarf merchandise Holy Grail, and it's never happened yet. But um, Series Six Bike Two, I think, was the last VHS that I got, and I, that was years in the in the looking mm. because when I was building up my collection, it was three or four years after they were all deleted um and for whatever reason six bike two was just difficult and i've mentioned this before but um yeah getting hold of that was uh kind of the completion of that journey and then since then i haven't really had anything that i've been really striving for maybe a bit of a dwarf like some cunts have (laughs) (laughs) that would be a good thing i think that is probably the one thing that i would like is like a chunk of the of the ship yeah i almost owned a chunk of the ship um, I was 30 seconds away from spunking 200 quid on a, a chunk from the same batch, Ian, that you've got yours from, the mm. Series 5 ship. And then a man called James Bull uh, picked me at the post and paid a bit more. And I was really angry at the time until the next morning when I was suddenly incredibly grateful. Because <laughs> I did not have £200. <laughs> In terms of props and, and, and sort of things that you really want to get hold of, the benefits of having friends who collect the props means that you get to see them but you don't have to buy them yes that's <laughs> you true. have the added benefit of not losing any money and yet you can still get access to these objects and have a look at them whenever you see fit yeah and <laughs> also you kind of realize the practicality of earning something that was only meant to be used temporarily these things are really fucking fragile and it's not just a case of spending 200 quid on a prop 
or more in some cases. It's the storage of the prop and mm. the maintenance of keeping that thing the way it is in the best possible way. And I, the, the more that I think about it, whenever I see people like, oh, I'm going to get this prop, and I'm just like, my brain's just thinking the practicality, where the fuck are you going to put it? It's mm-hmm. massive. It's going gonna, it's gonna to rot if you don't put it in the right conditions, if you don't keep it right. What you have to do is pack it away and never look at it. Because if you leave it out in the open, it will just die. Someone that we know, I don't know whether to name them or not. Um, Jess. Sport. <laughs> no, it's not Jess. <laughs> it's not Jess. Uh, someone bought the translator from Epidemic. Uh, like the prop uh, that they use to communicate with Epidem, wanted to fix, like, it, it didn't work. It was like the lights and whatever uh, weren't working. So he dismantled it all to try and fix it, try and see what was wrong, couldn't figure it out. So he just put it all in a drawer and, and just left it there. And at some point, several years later, his mum chucked it all out, <sighs> thinking it was just rubbish. We were talking about Holly Grails, and I remember at the time that was being auctioned at one of the first DJs I ever went to. And I was really wanting that prop. <laughs> I really wanted that prop. So to hear sort of like how it ended up is just is is so much more heartbreaking. I'd never heard that story before. That's um, it gave me palpitations. Poor Carl. It was Carl. Oh <laughs> <laughs> sod. Okay, so in terms of a holy grail of Red Dwarf as a show, yeah, what could happen with the show? Yeah, what holy would you grail, kind of yeah. most want to happen? Obviously, I think the Holy Grail is that I'd I'd want a very, very good ending. I think that's literally all I could hope for. Mine is holding a a, a Rob a new Rob Grant Red Dwarf novel in my hands, and actually closely followed by a new Doug Naylor Red Dwarf novel in my hands, but mainly Rob Grant. Mm. Or a Grant Naylor one. Well, I mean, I, I suppose the, I suppose in terms of like we're talking about objects. a Holy Grail here, not like the <laughs> yeah. Atlantis. So, something that doesn't actually exist is actually impossible. I'd say the Holy Grail then is is, is a Robin Dog getting back together. Or pen series of Red Dwarf. That's the Holy Grail, isn't it? In that it will never, ever, ever happen. Either that or a massive tell-all interview in which we we get all of the dirty laundry aired. That I would I would maybe consider <laughs> that to be a bit of a Holy Grail as well. <laughs> there is that, yeah. There's something there where you just you want to know. Yeah, but I think it would be really painful to know. <laughs> yeah, probably. Like it, yeah, It'd paint neither of them in a good light. We'd we'd come out all the worse for it, probably, because that's yeah. how that's how things like that work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a semi sort of realistic, feasible holy grail for me would be a new special once a year, every year, uh, for as long as possible, because uh, I think. From based on the promised land, I think that's the best format for Red Dwarf now. Is a longer mm. story. Um, obviously, by necessity, it would have to be less often. Just like yeah, when you think back, and because I, obviously I did that review of twenty twenty uh, recently for G and T, and it was it it feels like such a long time ago that the promised land went out because it was because twenty twenty happened. Um, <laughs> But that feeling of all everyone gathered round watching this special occasion, or at the same time knowing that it was a one-off, made it all the more special, really. Mm. And so having that feeling of this is this is our night, this is the one night this year where we're all going to get together and watch New Red Dwarf virtually, yeah. obviously. Having that on a regular basis of something like an annual feast type thing would be really nice. Yeah, for sure. I would rather have one special year than a series every three four years absolutely agree if we were to take this question literally as well so like what what is the holy grail like the holy grail is it's almost it's something that an entire group of people are searching for like if it's taken literally and it's almost um something that will validate their belief right if they, if mm. you could just find the holy grail and that validates a whole religion so does Red Dwarf have anything like that? Like, is there something that um, that is almost mythical about Red Dwarf? Like, I feel like the closest thing to this would be footage of Robert in in the sauna, but the, but that has since been dug up. But that used to be yeah, the Holy Grail, right? That was at one point the Holy Grail. Or Body yeah. Snatcher used to be the Holy Grail. Yeah. Um, Are there any Holy Grails left? I suppose yeah. also the USA pilot would be for some people the Holy Grail oh, because yeah. it was such a Very rarity true. at the time. Good quality versions of those. Yeah. Would be the... Master copies. Master copies of the uh, 
if you watch the wrong version of the USA pilot, um, your face melts. Like every time you search for it on Google, you get you get choice of three, and there's one really fancy one, and there's a humble Red Dwarf USA. And, yeah. Anyway, that's my joke. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a minute. <laughs> but no, yeah. Um, right now, I don't know. I, I feel like Andrew Ellard has, has yeeted all of the Holy Quails out into the open. Yeeted, <laughs> and uh, and there's none left. He's completely raided the the giant warehouse full of um, cardboard boxes. The one thing I would like to see is an entire day of recording from an older episode, mm. like rushes from a series three episode or something. Not location recording, but like, you know, a, a whole night of recording. The whole yeah, studio, full. all the warm-up. I would ask for two. I would ask for um, a whole night from series one, preferably the very first one, the end, and then a whole night from, like, basically the best night that they had in the original run. Like, so, like you say, maybe polymorph or something from mm. three like something where the audience are just losing their shit and it was brilliant because mm. then you'd get like the historical context of this is the first red dwarf recording and i, I imagine there's a fair bit of that kicking about it's just it's got no value so it's never gonna get released yeah. and then um yeah some yeah some from series three where like they're on they're in full flow and it's not just a, an awkward audience not laughing at anything mm. Because if it's anything like when you when we went to go see an audience recording, it's like you know they are really unique things to watch. It's really weird when you're watching an episode sort of done in stages when you normally watch it all in one room and then it's done out of order and all the rest of it. But when you when you know that take is the one that they're going to use, it's like it's like being in a recording studio and listening yeah. to, for that one break when that one that one guitar riff when they know they nailed it and it was just like it's that whole thing of knowing that they got to that point by an organic process and i just like to see how they got there with certain things release the rushes yeah <laughs> no you're, you're absolutely right and it's and, and saying like just one night as well because obviously you know like <laughs> otherwise it would be tedious really you know, we, we just need a taste of it don't we like just to see like see tony hawk at work um already during one of those yeah already is hard <laughs> or who would have been series three um I think series three was Eddie Izzard. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, 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 th- I think, Danny, I think you found the Holy Grail. It's just so tantalising on Body Snatcher. Those little clips of of Tony, like, pissing about with the camera. And, like, and, yeah. ju- ju- and you just think, ah, oh, there's probably, it's probably mainly boring, but there's there's definitely more stuff there that I would kill to see. I'm still yeah. interested in the process. Yeah, That's the thing. It's yeah. not even about the final result for me. It's always about how, the journey of how you got you got to wonder as well, like how much, because obviously those bits are taken from they're changing scenes, and there's a camera somewhere that is for whatever reason still rolling when it shouldn't be, because you would think it would only be rolling if it was filming a scene. So maybe it is so scarce that they're just barely. Yeah, you wouldn't expect to see a completely uninterrupted, like yeah. from six p.m. till yeah, ten yeah, p.m. Yeah. or whatever it is. Because um, there would be breaks in the VT where they change tapes and stuff, and the, and the expense of it, I imagine as well. I don't know how expensive it is for productions in them days, but I assume that that stuff wasn't. You know, you couldn't just shoot. It's not cheap. Shoot it's not cheap to keep to keep old no. rushes. From, and also the archiving as well that costs. So yeah. yeah, so it's probably off. Well, it was around when the DVDs were being made. I would be fascinated. I don't know whether any of this exists, but I would be fascinated to hear the sort of gallery talkback. Um, yeah. as, as an optional audio track yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on this mythical um, <laughs> just the rushes release yeah hearing Paul Jackson have a meltdown at someone in the first two series just, <laughs> two or three series would be amazing just the pencils snapping yeah every few seconds you hear snap <laughs> snap, snap. Uh, I don't know if I want to see this but it's again one of those stories that comes up every now and then is the thing about the reveal of the skeletons in Crichton and that mm. fuck up in front of the audience. It would be interesting to yeah. see what actually happened there. Because again, because you hear about it from you know, like from Mike Agnew and Paul Jackson, and but I just I think it would be not nice to watch. But it's again, it's one of those stories you've heard about that you've not seen anything about. You know, you'll never have seen it. But I'm sure that the cameras were rolling when that happened. Yeah, it would have been just before a take. So yeah, yeah, and then you get to see you get to see how overblown some of the stories were. 
<laughs> yeah, how much they've been exaggerated yeah. over the years. So there you go. There's a, there's a bucket full of holy grails. From <laughs> yeah, Chris. I mean the ultimate holy grail would be to figure out what the fuck Chris Carter meant when he said <laughs> red dwarf holy grail. But we we may never know. We may never know. If we didn't get that right, Chris, let us know, and we'll have another stab at it. <laughs> we recommend Chris's fanzine, by the way, Drive Room. Oh yeah, uh, indeed. Which is available from Chris's blog, which we'll link to in the fucking thing. It's Shout available out. from all good bookshops. <laughs> most really bad ones, too. <laughs> Thanks to Smegups, every time I hear that, that phrase, available in all good bookshops, the back of my head fills the rest <laughs> of that sentence out. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the end of this episode of... <laughs> ah, so you're a Wuffleman. If you want to submit any further topics and questions for a future edition of Wafflemen, then you can comment on the article for this Dwarfcast over at or you can tweet us. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. That'll be in two Dwarfcast time when we do our commentary for Siliconia. Uh, along with the next edition of Waffle Wem, because the next podcast that we do will be Dwarfcast Book Club, uh, continuing that old thing uh, as we start to go through Last Human bit by bit and uh, dissect that in great detail. Uh, so join us for that next time. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. As always, stay safe, stay at home, behave yourself, be fine. It'll be, it'll be fine. It will be fine. Everything's going to be fine. The mask goes over your nose as well. For God's <laughs> sakes. And as always... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Um, realistic... Well, still quite fanciful, but semi-realistic would be just a new special once a year, every year, until they're all dead. Would be uh, my. Yeah. Own. That's our holy <laughs> grail. For like you know, keep us keep us ticking over. Yeah. I just, just, just. I want them to work until they die. <laughs> that is my holy grail. God. <laughs> That's completely unnecessary. That's just... Uh... Now start again. That's a post-credit. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's good. Noel Edmonds. It's got to be. Noel Edmonds.